Good evening, North Shore Baptist Church. It's a great pleasure to stand before you tonight, as it is always a great pleasure to stand before you or to stand among you. Scripture says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It says that speaking of marriage, but as I've been thinking about our transition to Lynbrook, that verse keeps coming back to mind. What happens in marriage is that a man grows up in the household of his father and mother, and at some point, he finds a woman that he's going to take to be his wife, and he leaves the house of his father and mother and goes to begin his own household. Um, that, that picture is most applicable because North Shore Baptist Church is the household of my youth. I was saved in September of 2013. I showed up on the de- steps of North Shore. There's no steps out there. <laughs> I sh- <laughs> yeah, yeah. I show up at North Shore, myself and my then fiance, Emily, in December of 2013. And so spiritually, I have been raised from the very beginning at North Shore Baptist Church. And many of you have been mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers to myself and to my wife, Emily. You are our family in, in deep truth. And so I thank God for the privilege to have been raised up among you to have fellowshiped with you, and then eventually to have served you as a minister of the gospel. Now, Paul, in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, expressed the heart of the minister. He said he labeled, labored and toiled with everything in him to present every man mature in Christ. Now, the desire of the minister of the gospel to the people of God is that they would grow, that they would mature, that they would increase in Christ-likeness. And in a weak and limited way, but assisted by the power of God's working spirit, I have labored alongside a beloved pastor, Ed Moore, and Mike Chang, and Brian Kill as elders to promote your increasing maturity and your Christ-likeness. And even in the midst of us trying to serve you, you have contributed in a multitude of ways to the increasing Christ-likeness of both myself and my wife, and you have loved and served our children with a great love, and we are so thankful, thankful for that. And so as the Lord has moved to take me out of pastoral service here to graft us into a different local body, I thought on this last night, what word could I leave with you? What what final spin on the plate could I try to give to continue to press forward your growth and your maturity in Christ? And what I landed on was the word given to us in 2 Corinthians 3.18. So you can open there and look along with me. And because we will be looking at some of the context there as well. 
And what the apostle says, what the word of God says there simply is this, that we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That verse grabbed a hold of me late in 2022 and it continues to return to my mind as I think about sanctification, as I think about growth. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And so what I want to encourage you to do tonight is to look to Jesus. It is in him that we find our salvation, our life, and our growth. And so I want to give you three exhortations in light of 2 Corinthians 3.18, which I will express and expand in turn. The three exhortations are this. First, praise God for unveiled faces. Second, behold Jesus. And then third, be transformed. Now, if you study the Bible for any length of time, you know there's this little thing with chiastic structures, and there's two matching stuff, and then there's one thing in the middle, and the thing in the middle is the most important. The thing in the middle, behold Jesus. That's, that's the thing. If you grasp that, everything else will come together in turn. But I'm going to start with point one, that we would praise God for unveiled faces, and before we do that, I'm going to pray. Please pray with me. Father, there is none like you. You planned and sent your son to die for us. You communicated his glory to us by your spirit. And I pray as we hear the word and think on the word tonight, that you would open our minds, our eyes, and our hearts to see more of the glory of Christ that we would love him more, that we would know him more, that we would be filled with the Spirit to rejoice in him and to follow and serve him alone. Amen. Amen. Number one, praise God for unveiled faces. Verse 18, the first part says, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. Now the context of this verse is talking about the glory of the new covenant, the gospel, versus the glory of the old covenant, the covenant of law given by Moses. Now, the old covenant, as the scripture has said, which came through the law of Moses, had some glory. It had so much glory, in fact, that when Moses, the man whom God chose to use to mediate this covenant, when he would meet with God, his face would shine. But the people under the old covenant could not see the true glory of that covenant. One, the context tells us, because what Moses would do is he would put a veil over his face so that they could not see the glory of what was there. But more significantly, in verse 14, it says that their minds were hardened. Their minds were hardened. They were unable 
to view or comprehend or appreciate the glory of God as it was revealed through the old covenant. And this too, just like the thing that Moses would put over his face, is called a veil. It says, to this day, the day of the writing, and even to this day, 2023, when Jews read the Old Covenant, unconverted Jews read the Old Covenant, they cannot see the true glory of God in it. Scripture says a veil lies over their very hearts. We know as New Testament believers, that the true glory of God is not most clearly seen in the law. The glory of God in the new covenant, which is far, far, far greater than the glory of God in the old covenant, has also been veiled. In chapter 4, verse 3, Scripture says that even if our gospel is veiled, this gospel which we know is the glory of God in the new covenant, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of of God. When unbelievers look into the scriptures, be it Old Testament or new, the thing that they cannot see is the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. How can you miss that? How can you not see that? How can you overlook the beauty of an omnipotent, self-lowering God who comes down to show indescribable mercy and grace to the undeserving? It's because their minds are blinded. Their hearts are hardened. The gospel is veiled to them. But if you are saved, if you have been born again, you have been enabled to see it. You have unveiled face. Your eyes are open to the beauty and the wonder and the power and the mercy of God the Father through Jesus Christ. This is why you repented of sin. This is why you believed in him and confessed him as Lord. Because you were enabled, your face was unveiled to see, to perceive his glory. This is why you can worship him in spirit and in truth. Because your face has been unveiled. And in Ephesians chapter 2 it tells us that this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God. You didn't have a veil over your face and one day decide, you know what, I want to see. Let me take this thing off. You had no idea that you were blind. And God came to you and said, my child, 
have a look at the truth. And in there you found all your blessing. The context of 2 Corinthians says it this way in chapter 4, verse 6. It says, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God who looked out over the earth when it was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And by his own will, he spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. And the light was good. In the same way, the spirit was hovering over your darkened heart. And God essentially speaks your faith into existence by his very word. He unveils your face. So if tonight you have a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, if you have any love in your heart for the glorious Savior, if you have any perception of the wonder of God made flesh, sacrificed for sinners, and risen from the dead, you ought to give thanks and glory to the Lord who has revealed him to you. Praise God for your unveiled faces. Now, in my second point, I want to encourage you to use your unveiled faces to intentionally behold Jesus. There were some blind men in the Bible. Now, you might remember the man born blind in John chapter 9. Jesus tells him to go wash his eyes in the pool of Siloam. You might think about the man Jesus spit on his hands and touched his eyes and gave him sight in Mark 8, or blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. Son of David, have mercy on me. What can I do for you? Let me receive my sight. Imagine these men who have never laid eyes on anything, and then Jesus unveils their faces. He gives them sight. Picture Bartimaeus opening his eyes, looking around for a couple minutes, and then saying, all right, that's good. What I want to do is go home and close my eyes and lay in bed. Wouldn't make any, that doesn't make any sense. You've never seen and now you see? Man's going to be looking at everything. What is this? I've never done this before. What beauties there are in the world. Those blind men who were given sight would cherish vision more than any of us in this room. They would, I'm sure, have been so careful to look at and appreciate everything that they could now see. And it's in this way that we ought to cherish and use with intentionality our ability to see the glory of Christ. And so that brings me to my second exhortation, behold Jesus. It says, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. Now, this word that's translated here in the ESV as beholding 
only appears this one time in the Bible. It shares a root with a word that is commonly used for mirrors or like a looking glass. And so based on where the word is in the context and sort of how the word is constructed, there's three ways that it's commonly interpreted. The first one is reflecting. Some versions of the Bible say we all reflecting as in a mirror the glory of God. And that would hearken back to like Moses when he sat before God and the glory was upon him, he would then radiate out glory as a reflection. The second way that the word is translated, uh, probably the most common, is beholding as in a mirror or a glass, which would connotate the idea of there's the glory of God. We don't see it directly. We don't see God himself, but in the image of God in Jesus Christ, we see the reflection of the glory of God. That's one way you could take it. Or you could take it as when Paul says in another place, we don't see the glory fully. We see it as in a glass darkly. So we see the glory of God, but, but as in a glass, not complete and picture perfect, kind of fuzzy, but we can see it. That would be the second interpretation, beholding as in a glass. And then the third interpretation is the one that ESV takes, which is just simply beholding. And the scholars who would take that interpretation would say, yeah, the word has some connection in its form to that word that means mirrors or reflecting, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the word is trying to say reflecting. It's better to just translate it as just beholding, looking straight at. Now, it is important when you study your Bible to wrestle with every word of Scripture, to do your homework and try to ascertain what has God said. When he put this word here, what did he want it here for? So that we could seek to understand the precise meaning of the text that God has laid down. But for tonight's purposes, rather than battle between those three interpretations, what I want to do is bring to the fore what each of those interpretations has in common with one another. So whether it is reflecting, whether it is beholding as in a glass, or whether it is simply beholding, each interpretation requires that the person with unveiled face be oriented towards seeing the Lord. In every one of the interpretations, the one with unveiled face sees the Lord is turned to the Lord. And in verse 16 of the text, indeed, it says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. You're oriented towards God and his glory. You cannot reflect that which is not shining directly upon you. You cannot behold something, whether directly or in a mirror, that you are not directing your gaze at. And so with the ESV, I'm just going to stick with the simple translation, beholding. And what I'm encouraging you to do as you move along in your Christian walk is to intentionally, carefully, thoughtfully, prayerfully, joyfully behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
Beholding is more than just seeing. Beholding is more than just seeing. My little guy, Cannon, last summer picked out some dahlia bulbs for his sister. He saw the picture on the package, thought they were pretty flowers, said, I want to get these for Acacia. Following year, I plant them in the ground, and they grow up. And finally, after some waiting, the dahlias come out of the ground. And have you ever seen a dahlia? It is, (laughs) yes. Don't hold a candle to tulips, but you've seen a dahlia. They're, they're beautiful. Now, I can see the dahlias. Every time I walk out of the house, I can see the dahlias. I walk down the steps, go into my car, boom, dahlias. Those are nice. And keep on going. But one day, I stopped. I said, let me take a closer look at these flowers. Let me behold them. The perfect roundness of the bloom, like something that grows up out of the dirt and forms this perfect circle. And and the circle is separated into all these small compartments, mostly equal in size, each one essentially identical. And inside each of those little, I guess, cups that's formed that make up this globe is this radiation of color, like it's lighter on the inside, and then it starts to get darker and darker in color, and finally you get to the outside of the bulb, and there on the outside of the bulb, the color is rich and full, the one that you perceive when you just look at it and you pass by. And we've got, I'm colorblind, so I I can only see that there are colors there. I can't detail, tell you what the color is. What are they, teal, purple? Something like that. And then we got red ones. Right? So, so my beholding is deficient. But, but there's a difference between seeing and beholding. Then inside each of the cups, there's like a little pistil and stamen, like the flower's reproductive parts, tiny and intricate and beautiful, carefully crafted. I would not have noticed all that just seeing the dahlia. I had to behold the dahlia with intentionality in order to glory in all of that. And so what I'm encouraging you to do tonight is to behold Christ. Inspect him. Ingest him. Take him in. Seriously observe him. Enjoy him. Appreciate him. Revel in his beauty. And not just the bare facts about Christ, but the reality of Christ. He is risen. He lives, raised for our justification. He's real. He's not just the doctrine. The doctrine reveals to us the glory of a person who lives And one of the things that I want you to behold and take in and enjoy is that Scripture says this glorious person lives in you. You are united to the glorious Christ. 
Colossians 1.27, Paul says the mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. John says in chapter 14.23, Jesus says it in John 14.23, that if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. Paul exhorts professors of Christ in 2 Corinthians 13.5. He says to them, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail to meet the test. Those who are saved, who are born again, are in a life-giving, personal unbreakable, spiritual, mysterious, but no less real union with Jesus Christ himself. And so I'm calling you to recognize this union, to recognize the glory that God has made available to your eyes, and to press in to beholding it, press in to knowing Jesus, the God-man. He has given himself for you and to you for this very thing, that you might see his glory. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God is in Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the Son took on flesh to make him known to us. Hebrews says Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. Eternal life is to know intimately the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So look to him. Behold him. I call you to do this because he's worthy of this. I call you to do this because there's nothing better to look at. Your faces might indeed be unveiled, but if you don't intensely behold him, you will miss much. Just like the dahlias. There's seeing and there's beholding. I want you to behold Jesus. Consider his origin. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Uncreated true God, without beginning or end. Consider his power. He made all things and he sustains all things. He forms life in the womb. He takes life away. He gives spiritual life and he raises the dead. He walks on water. He calms storms. He heals diseases and he changes hearts. Consider his incarnation. Jesus is fully God, become fully man without ever relinquishing or giving up his deity. He doesn't unbecome God. He stays God and becomes man. And yet, he took on no outward beauty that people would look upon him, that anyone should regard him. His glory was veiled for a time. The brilliance was revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration, and will shine forever in full strength when we are with him in his kingdom. Consider his humility. Being fully God, took on flesh, 
rendered full submission and obedience to the Father, came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Consider his rank. He sits enthroned at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he is without dispute king of kings and lord of lords. Consider his compassion. He felt it in his guts when he saw wandering souls who were like sheep without a shepherd. Though he has in himself the power to raise the dead, he wept at the death of Lazarus and at the sorrow of those who were feeling the fear and the sting of death. He beckons those, he beckons with kindness, those who are weary and heavy laden to come and find rest in him. Consider his significance. All of scripture, all of the Bible given to us by God points us to him. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, veiled hearts. But it is these that bear witness about me. Can you see him in the scriptures? Your faces have been unveiled. If you know anything about Jesus at all, you know that I could go on and on and on and on. One cannot exhaust the delights that you may find in beholding Jesus Christ. But your face has been unveiled so that you can spend your life beholding and glorying in Jesus. This will, guaranteed, bring about your utmost peace and joy. And it will bring about glorious transformation. That's my final point. Be transformed. Just two things to notice here. One, this is not a conditional statement. It says, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It doesn't say, if you have an unveiled face and if you behold the glory of the Lord, then you will be transformed. It says, we all who have unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord and we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. This is a divine reality. This is a guarantee from God for all who have been saved and raised from spiritual death to behold Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says that Jesus himself is our righteousness and sanctification. Jesus doesn't give us righteousness and sanctification sort of as a gift in a box apart from himself. He comes to you and he gives you himself. And in him, you receive righteousness and sanctification because you are united to the divine person who earned it for you and who works it out in you. All who are called in Christ Jesus are sure and certain to be justified, sanctified, and glorified because their eyes have been opened to behold the glory of the one who makes it all reality. Second thing to notice is that we are transformed as we behold. That's, that's how it works here. In Psalm 115, which I won't read, we see the principle working against humanity, that those who worship idols become like them. They become mute and lifeless and deaf and powerless. 
We see the principle for both good and bad reflected in the parental-child relationship. Your children watch you, they behold you, they look up to you, and they become what you are because they're always looking. What you delight in effectively alters your mind, alters your heart, what successes you look to, what role models you have, what things you rejoice in. It changes your very being. You become like what you behold. And Jesus has given himself to us that we might behold him and be transformed into his image, which is the very thing that we were created to be from the beginning. He's recovering that. And our transformation, our growth in Christ will be progressive, as the scripture says, from one degree of glory to another. And as we continue to behold we will continually be transformed until finally our transformation is complete when we see Jesus face to face in all his glory. As John writes in his letter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is we are transformed in the beholding behold christ so as i and my family depart to serve another body i take immense comfort in union with christ and the union that we have with you in christ our family bond is no less stronger than it was when we were all first saved over the course of the 10 years that we've been in fellowship with North Shore Baptist Church and will not weaken when we leave the regular worship in this building to go serve somewhere else. We all, in Jesus Christ, remain in Christ and remain forever intimately united and connected. I rejoice in that. Whether near or far, we share together in the fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. And we will glory and behold the Lord Jesus Christ together forever. So let us, let us commit ourselves on looking intently to him. And may God continue to work transformation in us all for his deserved glory. Father, thank you for this opportunity to fellowship in the word together, to receive the word, to glory in you. Thank you that you have given us to see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to see more and more. Lord, there are those in the room who have not yet seen, and we pray that you would grant them the same mercy that you granted to us, that they might rejoice with us and behold Christ. Amen.